Before we get started, though, it just seems very appropriate after that song that we hear uh, a little bit of, of exactly what we just sang. Um, some of you might know Charity. Charity is, uh, um, I'm going to call her our cousin, um, because we see Charity a couple of times a year, uh, because she's actually cousins with Sarah, who's right there, um, and, uh, you know, Sarah's a, a part of us, and so Charity and her family also are a part of us, but uh, she has a, a testimony that kind of uh, brings home what we just sang, so I'll just let her tell you her story. Um, we recently moved back to eastern Montana where my parents ranch. I grew up there. My husband is a Marine. Hoorah. Yes. Happy birthday. Which we'll talk about in a second. <laughs> He's 248 years old as of Friday. Yes, as, ma'am. As is Adam. Um, so we moved back there, and he's been helping my dad on the ranch. And it's been quite the process and transition for him. And on Tuesday, he was out helping my dad doing a normal project they've done a bunch of times. And... You may laugh when you hear this description. So a very, imagine a very large fracking pipe, 15 feet long, and the ground is soft, so, oh, moment of opportunity, let's drive the pipe into the ground so we can put in a new gate. Well, the way that they do that is to get the tractor, pick up two large round bales, maybe 1,500 pounds each, set it on top of the pipe, and use that weight to drive the pipe into the ground. Easy peasy. Someone has to hold the pipe. Under. So James was under holding the pipe. He had a foot braced against it, holding it like he normally does. And he heard a clear and distinct voice in his head, not his own voice, say, you could die, move. He stepped back, got arm's length, and that bale dropped. <laughs> he could be dead. He could have popped like a little water balloon. <laughs> ah, but he didn't. He stumbled, that bale caught him, came down, broke all of his toes, rotational fracture of the fibula, came down, landed so hard on his butt, broke his pelvis in three places. <laughs> and the first 45 seconds he thought he was dying, and then he wasn't, and he self-assessed because combat training, amazing. My dad came flying out of the tractor, thought he'd just killed his daughter's husband. Whew, didn't. Came down there, James said, I'm okay, Dad, I'm okay. And my father in that moment, here's the thing, back up, back up. If you squeeze an orange and apple juice comes out, you'd be freaked out. Yes? Okay, so when we get squeezed by life and something other than Jesus comes out, why aren't we bothered by that? That's good. That's good. That is not who we were created to be. So I in that should, moment... In that moment, the enemy came in and squeezed. That's his job. He squeezed. And my father said, I take authority in the name of Jesus. Anything here that does not belong to the kingdom, leave. I declare life and not death. I believe there was healing in that moment. Yeah, we got this little list of broken bones. Whatever. Whatever. Satan cannot touch what belongs to the Lord few broken bones, that's not being touched at all. So bundle him up, get him into town, assessment, fly to Billings. I flew with him, so he's in the hospital. A couple of surgeries later, they didn't have to operate on his pelvis. Blessings, silver linings, it's good. But that's his story. He'll probably tell all y'all about it because he likes to tell his stories. 
my story out of this is, so today's Sunday, a week ago Sunday, I'm still the same person. I'm not undone by fear. I'm not anxious about anything. Everything is still the same. And there's a part of me that kind of stands to the side and looks and says, are you sure? <laughs> Shouldn't you be more upset by this? Maybe you're repressing your emotions. I am not. I am feeling all of my feels. I cry. I feel for him yesterday watching him in PT, my big, tall, strong, handsome Marine who can't even get himself out of a bed. That's hard to watch. But do you know what? Our God is good, and he is good all the time. My husband came out of that accident unscathed. I will say that to anyone, unscathed. And people will argue with me. Well, he's got broken bones. He's got months of recovery. Your whole life is turned upside down. My life was turned upside down the moment I met Jesus Christ. Thank God, because I don't have to live by what the world says I should be feeling in this circumstance, because my feelings don't dictate my theology. Yeah. It comes from out of here. Everything that has been poured into me from generations, from my grandparents, from my parents, from the family members around me who have reminded me of who God says he is, which is the first most important thing, and then who he says I am, not what the world does. This summer, my dad had cut the head off a rattlesnake in the corral, and he walked by it a second time, and that cut-off head tried to, tried to strike. They do that the nature of a snake. And I want to remind you of that because that's been brought back to me this morning. The head of the serpent was cut off. The moment Jesus died and paid the ultimate price and ransomed us, rescued us out of darkness, made the way for us to be free, the enemy never stops trying yeah. to deceive us, never stops trying to strike. So when you see those strikes coming, remember it's coming from something that's already cut off. Amen. It has no rights. Amen. That. Right? <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> You're not my mom. <laughs> She's over there. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the, yeah, that'll preach. You know, um, I, I'm not going to say anything. Uh, about that other than what you just heard is that's just truth and and hopefully when we hear things like that we can we can allow that to land um, I my own uh, part of the story kind of leads me into the way that I wanted to start today um, I got a call from Charity's husband James on on uh, Thursday morning and uh, I was uh, I was in my truck so it just read the number and so I you know he he's like hey how's it going like I'm like yeah who is this and you know oh it was you know it um you know, because it didn't tell me who, um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. It's getting in the way of my story. So I'm talking to James, and, and he's like, yeah, I'm still in Billings. I was just wondering, uh, you know, could you, uh, uh, for our birthday tomorrow, because you know, on uh, Friday is uh, one of the, the, the biggest holidays of the year, November 10th, uh, the Marine Corps birthday. Um, after that's a minor, a more minor holiday is Veterans Day. But uh, the Marine Corps birthday that ha was happening on Friday, he's like, hey, can you bring me a beer for, for our birthday? I'm thinking, Yeah. Where, where are you? And he's, I'm, I'm in the hospital. I got life flighted here, um, and, uh, and I got surgery in a couple of hours, so I was just wondering if you could bring me a beer. I'm like, you can't bring beer to a hospital for somebody about to have surgery? So I stopped at the gas station and got a beer and headed over to, uh, to 
see him before the surgery and, and pray for him. Um, but that's one thing that I'm looking forward to is, is uh, having him here uh, sometime to, to give his testimony about this and about, uh, about the way that Jesus not only spoke to him, but is speaking to him through this experience. I'm not going to tell you his story. It's better from him, and I look forward to, uh, to having him share that with you. Uh, but it was, uh, it, I walked out of his hospital room. He is laying in, in a hospital bed, getting ready to go to surgery. And I walked out of there more encouraged and more ready to get back into the fight than I'd been in a long time. And so uh, that's one way that, that you know, we can uh, encourage each other. Um, so let me just say this. Uh, veterans, thank you for your service. For those that were uh, celebrating yesterday, uh, thank you for your service. Um, I would like to say, as I do every year, um, Vietnam-era veterans, um, for those of you that are here, I, I want to tell you that um, I am profoundly grateful for you. Uh, the welcome that I got is because of the welcome that you got. And I, so on one hand, I say um, I am sorry for your experience. Uh, I appreciate you, and welcome home. So let's pray for uh, our veterans, pray for our Sunday together, and then let's get this kicked off. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for the way that you show us love. Thank you so much for the way that you show us that you're real. And thank you that you've cut the head of the snake. Father, I pray for all of those that chose to serve others. I pray that you would give them a blessing of peace. I pray that that would rest on them. And I pray, Father, that as we ask that blessing on those that have served, I pray that your blessing would go for those that serve now. I pray for those that are training to and are in harm's way. I pray that you would give them strength, peace, and resolve. And I pray that you would use their service to bring them closer to you. So would you be with us this morning as we try to do the same? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, this fall we are using the parables that Jesus taught to, to help us understand more of what it means to be a follower of his, uh, what it means to abide in him. You know, we've talked at length about how in John 15, Jesus calls us to this, to abide in him to draw life from Jesus. And, and he shows us with his teachings, captured in the parables, how to do this. So in these parables, Jesus uses so many elements. He uses allegory, metaphor, narrative, all of this unpacking kingdom realities that help us to recognize what we draw life from and make course corrections if we find that we're drawing life from something other than Jesus. Today we're looking at a parable in Luke chapter 16, uh, one that's often considered the most difficult parable to understand, and probably the, the, the parable that you shouldn't try to preach in a uh, series about parables. It is uh, difficult if you're like me. It's a difficult parable to understand, if you're like me. So if you're not like me, you're not going to have any problems today. But we tend to create, and when I say we tend to create... I tend to create rules and structure, and then I try to fit things into that rule and that structure. 
And I do that so I can more quickly understand things. This is a practice to simplify to my understanding rather than to grasp his understanding. Now, when things don't fit into the model that, that I create, when I can't force them through, uh, through brute force, when I can't force them through compromise, I get frustrated, I get confused, and then at worst, I get apathetic. But when I apply maturity, I recognize that my structures need to be broken so I can grow in understanding and I can actually grasp what Jesus is trying to teach. So when I try to fit the parable of Luke 16 into my parable understanding model, I find that this parable of the shrewd manager, which I promise we will rename here in a second, uh, the parable of the shrewd manager is outside of what I would expect from Jesus. And that can create a really uncomfortable confusion. When I'm reading Jesus, and this doesn't sound like Jesus, I get a little confused and a little uncomfortable. Now, one, one paradigm, for example, to kind of uh, bring this uh, point home, what I'm talking about here, I need to bust the paradigm of what characters represent. I tend to look in these parables for the character that represents God, I look for the character that represents me, and then I look for the character that represents everybody else. Today, if we try to utilize that paradigm, it gives us some trouble because the dudes in this story are, are pretty messed up. But it's not like, like Jesus comes to fix them kind of messed up. These are dudes that are, getting, that are messed up and they're kind of getting held up as, as an example. Jesus uses this to teach us how, what, uh, uh, how one could use bad, how one uses bad and we could do the same thing and use for good but also taken too literally, it seems like Jesus in this parable is exemplifying bad, greedy behavior. We can take scripture literally by understanding the nuance of the point. Jesus means everything that he says in this parable. And he's going to use a cultural interaction that that culture that he's teaching will, will understand. It's going to make sense to the crowd. He uses a bad action to make a point about a posture towards life. And it's one that would make sense to the, to the folks that he's teaching. But let me try to untweak something that I just said, or maybe tweak if it needs to be tweaked. But let's talk about like how literal scripture is and how this can become a battleground. Scripture is literal. And I mean that. And I believe that. Scripture is literal. But that can give us some problems if we allow that to become some kind of a legalist uh, old wineskin. When I say literal, I mean that the words actually mean what, what we read, however it's presented in the way that Jesus is meant to present it. And there's literal that goes throughout that whole paradigm. So when he's teaching allegory, he literally means allegory. When he's using a metaphor, he's literally using a metaphor. We don't need to take the legalism to where it gets to this weird kind of nonsense. Literal means literal, including the way that he is intending to teach. We have to avoid the legalist applications of literal when we interpret scripture. We have to allow the teacher to teach in the way that he intended. 
So we're going to hear this parable today, and we're going to try to understand it outside of the paradigm that we might have created for how Jesus teaches. So here we go, Luke 16, starting in verse 1. The parable of the shrewd manager. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. What is that? <laughs> we have this scene in the characters, and, and the, this plot is beginning to unfold, but I love how William Barclay, uh, what, what he says about these two characters. He calls these characters about as choice set of rascals as one could meet anywhere. I love that. So we are going to uh, uh, we're gonna create, um, for the, this language that we've been creating, uh, our BVC-ish, uh, we're going to use uh, rascal and rascalry um, and, and a lot of different variations of that as we go because I really love that, that definition, this choice set of rascals. Uh, both the steward and the rich owner are rascals. And in a moment, we're going to see that there's other rascals that are joining this rascally party. And, and they, these, those other rascals, they owe debts, that, and they're going to come onto the scene. We're going to see that in a moment. Um, what we're going to do is we're just going to go ahead and rename this parable now instead of waiting until we get to the end. This is now the parable of what we can learn from rascalry, how we can become rascals ourselves. We are going to celebrate rascalry, and we're going to learn how to do it. So rascal number one, the manager, likely this manager was a slave. And, and this is the ancient Near East context of slavery, not the, the slavery, the, the chattel slavery that we are more familiar with from our own nation's history. Uh, this servant is a trusted member of the household. He's placed in stewardship over the owner's property, uh, in this case, money and commodities as it relates to an agricultural business. Now, ownership and stewardship Understanding those two things is central to really see what's going on in this parable. Ownership is the legal right to possess and use something, whereas stewardship is the responsibility exercised in relation to something, often with the purpose of benefiting someone else. Understanding the difference between the two is important for our ability to abide in Jesus, to draw life from him, because knowing our role is being in order. Operating outside of our role is operating in chaos. So stewardship, what we're going to see from this, is stewardship is the main point and the application piece of this parable. As we seek a lesson on how to abide in Jesus, what we're going to see from this is stewardship is at the forefront. Stewardship has several examples in Scripture that, that, that help us out with the concept of what we're talking about, the difference between owning things and stewarding things. In Genesis 2, we see right off the bat, in the second chapter of Scripture, the first humans, Adam and Eve, are made stewards in the Garden of Eden. Two other examples that fit our context today for this parable would be Joseph in uh, Genesis 39 and Daniel 
in Daniel chapter 6. Genesis 39, 4 through 6 says, This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly. His crops and his livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. While Joseph, with Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. This is an example, a, a good example of the owner-steward relationship. Another one in Daniel 6. Darius Amid decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and the high officers. Because of David's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. These examples show that the owner selected a steward to exercises, exercise the resources for the good of the household or the community, but also to protect what belonged to the owner. They did not own any of the resources that they directed, but they were responsible for their proper and profitable use. They owned nothing, but were responsible for everything. The owner defines what proper use looks like, and the steward exercises that proper use. The owner also measures success. In selecting one to steward resources, the owner does not abdicate ownership. Even having a steward, the owner still is the owner. Now, the steward in our parable is about to get the boot. Jesus doesn't tell us specifically why, uh, beyond that the, the owner has heard that this man's execution of his duties is, is leading him to uh, give him the old heave-ho. This guy is out of there, and it's based on the fact that he is doing something that he shouldn't be doing. He, is, he has failed as a steward. Was he just misallocating resources? Well, he's probably at least doing that. Was he embezzling? Probably. What we know, though, is this. The steward's not using the resources as directed by the owner, and so he's getting tossed. Now, remember, though, this steward is a rascal, and rascalry is about to commence. He is enough of a rascal, obviously enough, to get himself canned, but he also sees his cushy job about to end, and he self-evaluates. He knows that he's way too much of a pansy to earn an honest living, digging ditches. He is not that dirty hand, clean money kind of guy. And he's also, he's got too much pride to beg. So he's too much of a pansy to work hard, too much pride to beg. What's he going to do? He just indulges his rascalry. What we see here is a man that is drawing life from self-sustaining competition. 
This leads to shady practices, likely a reflection of shady practices that had occurred before, but it leads him to shady practices that's all designed to keep his belly full. He is not interested in the will of the owner, but he is interested in maintaining his standard of living. Now, because he's not in line with the owner, his comfort is about to be threatened. His comfort is threatened. He's about to get the boot. Rather than move from self-focus to focusing on the will of the owner, this rascal gets rascal, rascally with other rascals in order to sustain that cushy lifestyle. Back to our scripture in verse 5. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. How much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. This is as rascally as rascally can get on the surface. We have a rascal party going on. The rascal manager cuts one bill by 50% and another bill by 20% with the intention of endearing himself to the customers and gaining favor so they would be willing to help him in the future. Now, there's a lot of time and study that has gone into this trying to figure out what is actually going on. And from that study, from the scholars over, over the history of when Jesus taught this all the way to where we are today in, in, in talking about it, they, there are, are, are three main views that come from what this rascal is doing. One view, the most traditional view, is that the rascal manager is just unilaterally lowering the prices. He undercuts the boss in order to engender goodwill for himself. Another view one that's a bit less likely than that more traditional view is that the steward is removing interest charges on the account and, and with that he's following Mosaic law that comes from, from uh, chapters in, in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy that show that, that, that charging interest to a fellow Jew is actually against the law. So one view is that he's just removing the interest charges and getting back down to the principle. That the differing percentage, though, makes this less likely and, and also would demonstrate how rascally the owner could be as well if he was applying interest in violation of the law. So there's kind of, we, we could say, well, maybe so, but probably not. A third view is that the rascally manager is removing his commission from the price owed to the owner which would lower the price, thus engendering goodwill from the account holders. And it would also explain what we're, something that we're going to see here in a moment, that the owner actually commends the manager for his shrewdness. Now, the argument here is that, that the owner would not compliment the manager if the owner's bottom line is being affected. And that makes a lot of sense to me. I find this third view to be the most likely because uh, a further injustice against the owner would likely result in a further punishment. Beyond simply firing the rascal from a lucrative position in the household, I think we would probably some see something else happen. 
I think this lines up with the lesson that Jesus is about to bring from this story. Verse 8. The rich man said, or the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. If Jesus says rascal, we get to. It's true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than the children of light. Man, that lands pretty hard, doesn't it? It's true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than the children of the light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. If you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all of this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, You like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Jesus wrapping up the parable of rascally behavior gives us several threads of, ac- of application that, that become a very strong line when we join these threads together. Now first, we've got to deal with this, this thing that, that he said that, that maybe didn't land so well. At least it didn't land for me so well. The people of the world are more shrewd than the people of the light sort of holding up the activity of the people that don't follow Jesus and showing that, that somehow those that do follow Jesus are lacking. The people that do not believe in Jesus are more shrewd than, than those that do believe in him. What he means is that, that those engaged in selfish competition think more creatively about how they use their resources than the disciples do. The people that are out for their own gain, are more creative, they utilize more ingenuity, and also they're, they're more ruthless, they're more, they're, they're more competitive, they're all, they're more, they, they've got more of a drive to achieve, to build, to create wealth than the followers of, of Jesus do. Why would that be a, a bad thing? What Jesus is pointing out here to the disciples, to those that are listening, to those that want to hear this message, to those that, that are, are looking to learn how to abide in him, Jesus is calling his followers to be as eager and ingenious in using their collective resources for the advancement of the kingdom of God as, as non-believers are in advancing their own earthly kingdoms. In the same way that people of the world think about maximizing the return on the investment, about long-term benefits, uh, of things that they, they acquire or work to acquire, those that draw life from Jesus ought to apply similar approaches with their resources. 
the next lesson that mutually supports the first lesson of shrewdness is to, to understand how deliberate Jesus is being with this parable. Using a relationship between an owner and a steward invites us to examine the relationship that we have with our stuff and everything that's included in our stuff. To a person of the world, all of their stuff is owned. They own all of their stuff. Now, when I say stuff, like, I mean all the stuff, right? Uh, we're, we're, we're talking about, about homes, vehicles, bank account, everything. Stuff. Included in stuff, the material, would be talents, hobbies, relationships. All of this is stuff that they own. To a person of the world, they own all of their stuff. Everything is theirs. They earned it. They fought for it. But what this attitude misses is that as much as they think that they own it, the truth is that their stuff actually owns them. Because they serve those resources as someone would serve God. They serve those resources even to the point of worship. The power in the life of this person is held by ownership of material possession. Followers of Jesus are called to steward resources, which means that we are not the owners of stuff. The power we have comes from the vine that is Jesus, not from the resources and wealth that we accumulate. But as Jesus points out to the religious people that, that are listening to this message, we can't have our feet in both camps. We cannot be stewards and owners of our stuff. If we're stewards, we use what we have as God directs, as the owner. If we're the owner, we give in relationship to what we choose for the things that we own. Either we're stewards of our resources or we're owners. Now, I've tried really hard over my life to, to keep my feet in both camps. I've tried really hard to straddle this line. It's still something that, that I'm, I work to kind of break out of, of uh, the way that I operate. It's still there. Often I've wanted to steward some of my stuff, but I want to own the other part of my stuff. I'm cool with stewarding some of it, but there's some that's just mine. So don't touch. Now, what I'm finding, though, is that this isn't one of those deals where as long as you get like a 70% or higher, you, you pass like C's get degrees kind of a thing. It, this, it's all or nothing. 
We either draw life from Jesus or we draw life from our possessions. I can't tell you that I'm a steward of my time and my energy, but then own my money. I can't tell you that and tell you that I'm drawing my life from Jesus. I can't say that I'll be generous with my money, that I'm, a, I'm going to steward my money. I'll write a check to help anyone or support anything, but my time is my time. So relationship is not going to follow my financial support. I can write a check to it and mail the check off and I'll let them deal with the people. It's not drawing life from Jesus because I might be stewarding something, but I own the rest. When we bring all these lessons together, Jesus is teaching us another level of what abiding in him looks like. Taking stock of what we have and recognizing that we are stewards of these things is essential to drawing life from Jesus. As stewards, we use our stuff in such a way that there is maximum benefit for another. We achieve that benefit by leveraging ingenuity, creativity, relentless pursuit of returns on investment, and we do all of that as directed by the king, by the owner. Jesus, in, in this parable of the rascals, uses corrupt, selfish business practices to make the point about how we see the things that we have and how we are called to use them as we abide in him. Because every Sunday this fall, we have tended to rename or redefine something as we create this new language of, of BVC-ish. Uh, we're going to redefine today the rascal. And as we redefine the rascal, we're going to call each other to rascalry. To be a rascal, we take stock of what we have. All of it. We define stuff. What stuff do we have? This would be an awesome post-time-together uh, lunch conversation, defining our stuff. What stuff do we have? This is something, too, that, that the, the people of the, the kingdom of the earth are able to do. When you think about how they look at their capital, they look at the resources that they could use to put towards a problem. What if we were to do the same thing in the way that Jesus is teaching? What stuff do we have? We've got the resources, that, that, that are time, energy, and money. Those are easy ones to, to kind of say, okay, we've got those as well. But what else do we have? Our rascalry be, begins with looking at what we have. What is our stuff? We take stock of, of it. As we take stock of our stuff, this is a good opportunity to kind of take a step back. And as rascals, we thank the Lord for it. We thank Jesus for all of the stuff that he's entrusted to us. And then we get rascally as we leverage everything, all of that stuff, to have the maximum benefit for those that we meet in the time between the Sundays. And in that, we become rascals together. What we see here is that to draw life from Jesus 
is to surrender everything else in order to make room for Jesus. That means we identify who owns the stuff and we act like stewards. When we surrender our life, we lose it to him and we gain the promise of relationship with God. And so as rascals, we surrender all or we surrender nothing. Our stuff is his stuff. It's his to direct or it's ours to own. One path of life and one path to death. His to direct, or it's ours to own. This is the lesson of the parable of the rascal. So as we turn back to worship, let me pray for the rascalry to commence. Holy Spirit, would you come and meet us in this moment? And Father, as we take stock of all that you've entrusted us with, I pray that you would break the power of ownership in the name of Jesus. I pray that that you would also release us into rascalry by making us ingenious with how we would utilize the stuff that you've given us. I pray not only would you make us ingenious, I pray that you would make us relentless. I pray that you would bring creativity. And I pray that in all of that, we would see your power and be called to your mission. In Jesus' name.